0: The Coffee Podcast is a people-focused podcast in an effort to raise awareness and opportunity to support those affected by the devastating Hurricane Harvey. We'd like to encourage our listeners to donate to the Red Cross Disaster Relief. You can donate by going to redcross.org or text Red Cross, that's capital R E D C R O S S to number 90999. That's number 90999 for a $10 donation to the Red Cross Disaster Relief Program. The Coffee Podcast is sponsored by KitchenAid, whose coffee collection is changing the way coffee is brewed at home. KitchenAid worked with baristas and coffee experts to engineer a new line of coffee products. The KitchenAid Burr Grinder allows you to extract the best flavor from your coffee beans by precisely controlling the grind level. The KitchenAid Precision Press Coffee Maker enhances the classic French press brewing method with an integrated scale and timer to precisely brew a bold full-bodied cup of coffee exceptional coffee. It's simple with KitchenAid. At Bullbean Bean Coffee Roasters, we know that quality starts at the source and ends in your cup. This is why we focus on directly sourcing and roasting coffees with dynamic character and brilliant clarity and sweetness. Order now at BullbeanCoffee.com and use promo code COFFEEPODCAST for free shipping on all orders through September. You're listening to The Coffee Podcast, where our focus is people and our language is coffee. Episode 99, Counterculture Coffee, an interview with President Brett and green coffee buyer, Tim. Welcome back to another episode of The Coffee Podcast. We're excited to announce the winner of our Department of Biology Let Coffee Bloom hat at the end of this episode. Some of you have been worried that our new episodes aren't showing up in your podcast feed. Be sure to search us on your podcast app, on your phone, or on your desktop device. And hit that subscribe button. That will ensure that you get all the new episodes as they come out. Let's jump into today's interview. Today's episode, we have... Two very special guests here to talk about Counterculture and World Coffee Research's checkoff program. I'd like to introduce our guests for this episode the coffee buying and quality manager, Timothy Hill, and the president of Counterculture himself, Mr. Brett Smith.
1: Brett Smith, I am the uh, founder and president of Counterculture Coffee um, in Durham, North Carolina, and co founded the company in 1995 and have been uh, working to to try to build the company ever since. Um, I live in Chapel Hill, and I have three kids. And between the kids and, and coffee, uh, that keeps me pretty busy.
2: Yeah, so uh, I am the coffee buyer and quality manager for, for Counterculture. I have been at Counterculture, I am just about to hit 13 years in a, in a, I think a couple weeks. Uh, so I've been there a long time. Uh, been you know, I've gone from bagging coffee, roasting coffee, delivering coffee, uh, pretty much, have worked a, a lot of different uh, facets and facets and capacity uh, at 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 the company, and uh, yeah, that's that's what I do. I source and uh, source and make sure the coffee tastes really good.
0: So it sounds to me like if I'm gonna have anybody from Counterculture team up and talk to us about some coffee uh, stuff, it's gonna be you two. You both, uh, I assume, know quite a bit about Counterculture and the DNA over there. So Brett, let me ask you first. What was your first cup of coffee like and what moments led you to pursue a career in coffee?
1: Well, I'll, I'll be brutally honest and say that for a co-founded counterculture, uh, I was not a big coffee drinker and I, I can't really remember different times of drinking coffee or different moments. And my initial interest in, in coffee was really the coffee industry, the coffee business. Um, I was coming out of of business school at at University of North Carolina, um, where I I got my MBA and I had an entrepreneurial itch. And I just sort of stumbled across the industry. But I do remember a moment uh, when I was, the, the first time I really cupped coffees in a formal way, And it was with a guy named Robert Barker, who had been in the industry for a while. And I I haven't heard anything from Robert Barker in the past 15 years, but he had been around the industry for a while and he sat me down and and I was with my partner at the time, Fred Howe. And we put on a table uh, three coffees, a coffee from Guatemala, a coffee from Kenya, and a coffee from Sumatra. The, the, you know, the differences just were obvious, but I'd never experienced anything like that with coffee, even though I was getting into the coffee business. But it was at that moment that I really started to appreciate the differences in coffee and not just subtle nuances, but significant differences and, uh, and, and really this, the different experiences you could have with, with each cup. And that's when I started to realize that, uh, what I was doing was more than just, you know, an entrepreneurial exercise. It was really, you know, being part of a a great industry and a a great product.
0: Sure. So you, you sort of caught the, the coffee bug, as they say, you know, it sounded, sounds to me like you wanted to start a great business and ended up, you know, neck deep in the coffee industry.
1: It was, uh, you know, a, a lucky choice in many respects of, of the industry. But uh, what I hadn't anticipated was not only the product, but you know, the reach of the industry—literally um, all around the world—and and over the last 22 years, how it's it's given me the opportunity to meet people from all different um, you know walks of life, and it's been incredibly fulfilling in that respect.
0: And I assume that you must have met Tim just naturally through the process of being hired for counterculture. Yeah.
1: Early memories. uh, um, We still try to do this where we bring individuals into the company and, and production. And, uh, and that's literally out starting bagging coffee and, and, um, and then sometimes that led to roasting and sometimes that led to, other other areas within the company, be it helping support uh, brewing equipment with our customers or supporting our customers with training, um, and uh, and and yeah, Tim Tim stood out on many levels.
0: Absolutely, and and Tim, how about you? What what's your story? You know, what's your coffee origin story, so to speak? Are you have you always loved coffee? What was your first cup like, and how did you end up pursuing? Uh, coffee as a career
2: yeah no it's a great great question I have to I think I have to blame my wife for uh, actually getting me into coffee um, you know when we we're when we were dating in college uh, you know I ended up you know spending a lot of a lot of time with kind of her and her friends it was kind of like this big commune house and actually two of the roommates of the house were baristas at cafes in Chicago you know, I thought it was really interesting I ended up working at a at a coffee shop a few years later and my manager um, competed in, like, one of the very early barista competitions and, again, was, like, really kind of idea of, you know, these flavors and coffee places, and it kind of hooked me from there. Um, I came to North Carolina, um, and, you know, just by, by chance, I ran into someone at an art gallery show that worked for Counterculture. He knew I worked at a cafe, and he's like, oh, come for a tasting. Um, this is when we were doing, you know, kind of, I think, early early on, Uh, tastings to the public kind of trying to bring people in showcase the coffees and I came for a tasting and didn't really know I was gonna like go for a job interview a couple days later and ended up kind of working for counterculture just by 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 chance, um, so I feel very very fortunate to kind of fall into this really unique interesting industry
0: and and I think that quality is absolutely seen and reflected uh, in the brand of counterculture. Um, all the coffee people I know and the ind- industry who think of counterculture think quality, they think transparency um, and they think you know maybe in some way sustainability, which is sort of the next topic that I want to run through with you both. So Brett, it seems like counterculture has had sustainability conversations going since its early days. If I'm correct, you attended the first sustainable coffee congress held by the Smithsonian. Is that right?
1: Exactly. So it was, um, it was interesting. Well, to, to your first sort of point about how, uh, sustainability has been a part of counterculture, uh, I would agree. I, we, we didn't necessarily use that term, um, and i do remember my my big memory of the the uh, sustainable coffee conference was we, i think we a, as a group as an industry and there were people there it was it was actually very exciting counterculture was tiny tiny at the time and it was my first exposure to the broader industry and and we would break we broke into working groups and and really over the course of 2 or 3 days the final conclusion was really That there are three aspects to sustainability and really the triple bottom line of the environment of the social sustainability and and fiscal sustainability but those values if you will were really were part of counterculture early on i started the company i I mentioned this earlier uh, i met a guy named fred halk who was uh, living in durham and actually was working for a tiny little coffee roaster and he and i met and ended up partnering and excuse me, and Fred, we, we both, or I would consider him more of an environmentalist than me, but we both appreciated the environment. We appreciated, uh, what it takes to build a company and build relationships, build long-term relationships. Uh, so there was sort of an unspoken shared point of view, uh, that we wanted to build a great company in the sense of, uh, a great place for people to work, a, a great partner for our suppliers and, and partner for our, our customers. But, uh, we also, early on, appreciated the environmental uh, aspect of coffee, and uh, and we started focusing on that very, very early. I think in 1997, we came out with one of the first, if not the first, uh, shade-grown coffee uh, called Sanctuary. Uh, and it was kind of funny. I remember, uh, in the the coffee was focused on shade farms where migratory birds would go. And and as more and more land was clear cut for farms, there were fewer places for the birds to go. And so I remember the day Fred walked in and said, "I've got it. We're going to do bird friendly coffee." A lot of people have heard that term now, but I'd never heard it. We had never heard it. And I think I asked him if the birds were going to eat the coffee. But early on, that was part of our focus. And and I think that as we continued to build the company. We've continued to uh, really clarify and uh, support our commitment to sustainability as part of our vision statement, as part of what we talk about all the time. And to me, and I think to counterculture as a whole, it's not really a a compromise by any means. It's it's really a great structure for business. It's a great lens to look through. You know, we're, we're trying to build a business that keeps going, that is in its essence, sustainable. When you look through that lens, uh, either in the sense of transparency or um, a lot of the different things we've done, it pays off. So what started off as sort of how we do things naturally is now we do it with much greater intention.
0: Yeah, that sounds great. And, and I think the, the word sustainability uh, and sustainable can kind of be very intimidating to people. And I do want to take it a little further away from the business side of things and maybe have it in light of the market. Why should anyone really be that concerned about coffee sustainability if the C market price of coffee has been dropping since 2011 and people are saying there's more supply than demand?
2: You know, if you look at any, I don't know, kind of time period in coffee, you can, you know, see the market fluctuations, you can see, you know, trends here or there. But I think the reality that we we know is that there are certain industries, you know, look at like bananas or wine that have faced kind of peril uh, moments in their history where if action wasn't taken, if more thoughtful ways of farming farming practices or research or development or trying to address a very serious you know issue in coffee you know has really had massive effects on the industry and almost kind of collapsed uh, certain agricultural industries so you know while sure for the last few years the sea market has trended one way those things can change on a dime uh, those things can change Very rapidly, very quickly. And, you know, when we're really looking about, you know, sustainability of a coffee and the people we're working with in specialty coffee, what we're trying to achieve is fiscal sustainability, supply sustainability, quality sustainability for our customers to have all of those things together so that it's not just a bare bones commodity product. Uh, that is, you know, something unique, something special, something that people are building uh, professional careers on and really trying to uh, make coffee something uh, unique uh, to me that that's really what we're talking about in sustainability. Um, and uh, a small little trend of time does not uh, does not uh, does not make the, the history for sure.
1: Well, 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 I did want to chime in and, and, and say that if, if you if you do look at the big picture trends as sort of a macro trend and then, and then a micro trend. And, you know, the macro, you you do have increases in consumption. You have countries like India and China that are starting to increase their consumption of coffee. You have um, countries that historically were net exporters are now net consumers. And the trends show that that should continue. The flip side of it is really as it relates to um, coffee sustainability, and this is Getting more into WCR, but uh, there is a reality with, as Tim was touching on with agricultural uh, crops that sometimes you face incredible challenges. And coffee itself, it requires certain growing conditions. And and with things like climate change, um, you have certain regions that are, are either you know more moisture or less moisture, or you know that's changing. And and coffee is fragile in that respect. And you have certain countries like uh, you know El Salvador that I think coffee production. There is is down probably seventy percent, um, and a lot of that that relates to how susceptible coffee is to to disease, to the effects of climate change, um, and then the last aspect of it is is land pressure. I had a conversation with uh, the granddaughter of a coffee grower, and, and she was an adult, but she said she remembered as going to visit her grandparents when she was a child, and said that they could. Look out from their farm over the valley, and they could see the coffee plants flowering, you know, for as far as they could see. And and now, from that same position, she sees uh, literally housing developments. And so, uh, land land is being converted away uh, from from farm to you know either to real estate or to develop for for housing or for other crops. So there is. a a, a delicate balance there that can be disrupted fairly easily that you know we, we're already seeing it um, through things like rust and other things that affect coffee just because the sea is down that that does not necessarily reflect really the longer term uh, potential for uh, for for challenges with coffee
0: sure and and you must know uh, being integrated in the coffee culture as you both are uh, that this is sort of a common Um, misunderstanding of the market and sustainability and it's kind of maybe not intentionally but it is a way to say "Oh, sustainability is not really that great of a deal you know uh, look we have so much coffee in the market how can it be a problem it's obviously not the case and Tim I would like to move uh, a little more back into your position at counterculture you're the coffee buyer and quality manager you're a roaster known for high quality coffee and thorough transparency obviously I want to ask you, how does your role at Counterculture reflect the vision of sustainability for the company itself?
2: Oh man, there's so many angles you can take on that one. It's a, that's a, it's a really tough one. Um, you know, I was kind of thinking about this, and you know, I was thinking about this the other day, and kind of what you know, how how this intersection of quality and sustainability plays out when you're purchasing coffee, when you're trying to, you know, develop models that work, you know, not only for for us, the coffee roaster, but for the coffee producer, the you know cafes that serve the coffee, the individuals you know drinking our coffee at their home, you know how how does that all work? And you know it actually, you know this question really brought me to a moment where I was part of this panel, and I was tasting all of these coffees, you know dozens and dozens of coffees from Colombia. and uh, it was designed to, you know it was designed to be a variety experiment of Castillo and Cotura. From Colombia, with you know the goal of trying to give feedback to you know growers on like what's a good variety, what is the quality worth, you know what is the risk worth in terms of you know producing these coffees, and it was really interesting. Went through all of these trials, tasted you know hundreds if not thousands of cups of coffee during this, and you know I was I was one of the only tasters that really loved the Caturra, um, and you know the Castillos did really well, and actually it, it like really surprised me at how. I, you know, how good some of those coffees tasted. And, you know, I think it changed a lot of minds there. And the takeaway for me was, even though I was in the camp of like, you know, having a slight preference towards this variety and this, you know, uh, these flavor profiles, you know, I had to like, take a step back and really look and be like, wow, I may prefer that coffee. But would I ever recommend that coffee variety to be grown by the producer? would I ever recommend promoting and selling that, you know, that idea, that concept to our customers. Um, And, yeah, it really made me think really deep and hard about what sustainability looks like, what trying to develop, um, you know, good transparent models that work for everyone. Um, And uh, now it's really interesting, which, you know, certainly plays, plays into, you know, a lot of my excitement for, you know, the work WCR is doing and, you know, what you know what this looks like in the future.
0: That was a really tricky one to to make concise, and did a great job there. I'm sure we could spend a lot more time on that topic, but let's go ahead and move uh, into the World Coffee Research Checkoff Program. Uh, I'm going to start with you, Brett. I want to mention that you are a member of the board at World Coffee Research. Why did you join the board? Well,
1: it it goes back to the really the early days of of World Coffee Research, and back when it was called the global coffee quality research initiative uh, which was the first thing the board did was change the name uh to world coffee research the program the idea the 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 goal of the organization uh from the beginning has been a great interest to me um the people with in the the early stages and have continued to be a part of world coffee research really got my attention it's it's a a group of very smart people, Tim Schilling, leading the way. I got to know Tim um, obviously through the coffee business through when he was uh, based in Rwanda. And not only did we have sort of an immediate friendship, but I really got to see an interesting perspective on agriculture. Tim's background wasn't necessarily in coffee. It was in agriculture and plant breeding. And so my friendship with him and and contact with him and – and the other folks uh, talking about this topic early on, it was just clear that this is something that uh, I wanted to be a part of and that wanted counterculture to be a part of. And so we were there from the beginning and any opportunities to participate with the organization and to, to continue helping it however I can was something that excited me and I think is important. Uh, I just feel it's that important for the industry. Uh, it's been a privilege to be on the board. Uh, I was the, the, the chair chairman of the board last year and that was really exciting on lots of levels um to to get exposure to uh science that i'd never really seen before and to plant breeding um that i have sat in our, our technical advisory committee meetings with some of literally some of the leading scientists and plant breeders in, in the world
0: wow yeah and
1: and and that's incredibly stimulating, but it just makes you appreciate how you know strong the organization is, uh, the organization that Tim's put together. I have continued staying involved because it's continued to uh, evolve in, in the right direction and continue to make progress and has continued to work hard, not only with the main goal of improving uh, and ensuring the future supply of great coffee, but I feel like the organization uh, that Tim's put together is doing that in a really smart way um, that will have the impact uh, for the whole industry, not for just one segment of the industry. And so to, to continue to be a part of the board is Just, I I think it's that important and it's, and and if I can continue to help, I, I certainly will.
0: Sure. And the, uh, the checkoff program is something the coffee podcast discussed on, uh, circa episode 79. So we've talked about it with our listeners before, but Brett, how would you describe the world coffee research checkoff program and why is counterculture involved?
1: Well, the checkoff program on its base level is pretty simple. Um, the idea is for every pound of coffee that you buy, you make a contribution, and it's, it's a half a penny a pound. We set up a, a checkoff program based on conversation with experts in the field, with um, ag economists down at Texas A&M. And a checkoff fund is not unique to World Coffee Research or to coffee. I believe uh, there there are other products where there are checkoff funds, and it's a very uh, sort of simple, streamlined way for people to participate, sort of on a pro rata basis towards um, you know a, a, a group like World Coffee Research. L- literally, we we have set up a mechanism. Uh, we, being World Coffee Research, has set up a mechanism whereby. Uh, Importers, uh, when you purchase coffee, they participate in the program, so they will add a half a penny a pound, and it's collected when we pay the, uh, the importer, and then they turn around and take your contribution and send it to World Coffee Research. So, so it's a very streamlined thing, and I think it's very effective. And I think it's, for roasters, um, I, I think it's a great thing to, to build into your system. Because, to be honest, once you build it in, you don't really think about it on an ongoing basis. And it, it sort of takes care of itself, in the sense as a sense, as opposed to having to stop every quarter and say, do we want to participate in this again? What level amount? Uh, what should we do? Instead, we're signed up, and we're going to stay signed up as as long as we want to participate and if we want to stop we can um, but it's very simple and and it's a, a very easy way to continue supporting. Oh, no coffee consumption.
0: Would you say that Checkoff is best suited for larger roasters uh, like counterculture or is this something that smaller roasters can hop on to? What's your opinion there?
1: What we've tried to do at WCR is is to create sort of different programs based on different size roasters like you've you you've described. I think the checkoff fund works really well for small roasters, mid-sized roasters. And and in the grand scheme of things, counterculture is 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 um, a relatively small roaster compared to other companies that participate like Green Mountain or Pete's or J.M. Smucker Company that, that owns uh, Folgers and, and other brands. But for roasters our size and all the, you know, even tiny little roasters, I think it's a great way to participate. Um, once again, because it's ongoing and it's and it's at the level, sort of it's pro rata. It's at, at the level that you are buying green coffee. Um, I think at a certain point, roasters that are you know the very, really, really large roasters, um, you know, they've chosen to instead make uh, annual donations of larger gifts, but we we would love it that World Coffee Research would love it if everybody participate on the checkoff level because it, uh, it it really works well
0: and Tim, you work hard to develop the supply chain at Culture. What are your thoughts on the checkoff program at World Coffee Research and how does it help you achieve that goal?
2: Yeah, you know I think this goes back a little bit to you know this idea of it's kind of, you know, research and development and what and what that looks like in developing a good sustainable model for sourcing coffee and, you know, what that means to work with outside organizations. Um, and, you know, I, you know, honestly, like, you know, it, uh, yeah, it, was, it was funny when I when I heard you say, like, oh, counterculture is a l- large, large roaster. I'm like, oh, man, like I get really jealous of, you know, companies a hundred times the size of counterculture. That, you know, they probably have, you know, R&D budgets, you know, that, you know, who who knows what they even look like at this point. And so, you know, I think that, you know, the checkout fund, um, I don't know if it exists in any other industry kind of in this fashion where a really small roaster, a medium sized roaster, you know, really anyone can participate in you know, some of the most fascinating, interesting research and development work happening in coffee that you're going to see the benefit of in a very short time. I mean, we're already seeing varieties uh, come out from these projects that, um, you know, are winning competitions and we know are being developed in a very thoughtful way um, that not only, you know, are they more disease resistant, um, potentially produce better, but, you know, they are You know, a lot of times geared towards being better quality Um, as, you know, someone that, you know, spends a lot of money, a lot of time trying to develop the best quality coffee we can possibly, you know, source. Um, this is the this is the easiest way you could possibly do that as, gotcha. as any roaster out there.
0: So, what would you say to coffee suppliers and other roasters, quality managers, and green coffee buyers listening to this episode? <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, I'll, I'll be very simple. I,
2: you know, do it. Like, there's no there's no reason not to, to, to do it. I mean, the if, if you look at the work um, and you look at what's happening uh, with the long term gains of it, uh, this is it, to me it's a no brainer um, for me. Yeah, I think uh,
1: I think there's an aspect to, uh, coffee sustainability that people focus on. And and we've touched on it today where you have, you know, a crisis in coffee and supply and demand. And and I think that world coffee research is addressing that. Um, but also as Tim touched on, um, there, there, there developments that WCR is, is accomplishing now that that they're creating incredible, you know, interesting things in coffee not just okay we have a supply because it's not just about a supply it's about a, a a supply that is is interesting and quality and and uh and unique and if you look at the coffee industry and how the issues that face the entire industry uh, cannot be addressed with a single company and yeah there are huge companies with their r d labs and and they're doing interesting things but wcr's focus and commitment to sort of to, to as the term means is pre-competitive is on developing things that benefit the industry as a whole and and you can do that and it's you know sort of a rising tide effect when the industry has uh, a more sustainable supply of great quality coffee and sustainable in the sense from you know from the farmer all the way through these unique offerings that are available to the industry and obviously that can be taken to the consumer uh, uh, roasters of any size be it the smallest or the largest you can't get that benefit by yourself so it's a it's a tiny price to pay to participate compared to the the upside the benefit of not only ensuring you know the the big macro supply of coffee but wonderful unique coffees uh, they're already starting to come out in the market new new varieties and in a wonderful direction not just all right we have coffee um Instead, it's going to be, wow, we have wonderful coffees. And there's gotcha. a big difference.
0: Well, thank you for sharing that with us and with the listeners. Uh, Brett and Tim, thank you both for joining us uh, to talk about counterculture and the checkoff program. We covered a lot of ground today.
1: Well, thanks, and, and thank you for your interest in world coffee research and, and of course, counterculture.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Tim. And My pleasure. Thanks. Talk to you guys later. And finally, we'd like to announce the winner of the Let Coffee Bloom Department of Brewology hat. The winner is going to be Instagram at Chad Covino. Thanks, Chad, for participating and everybody for participating. Thanks to those who subscribe to the email. And we'll be sure to be announcing some big news very soon. The Coffee Podcast is produced by me, Jesse Hartman, and my co-host, Weston Peterson. Music is by Michael Parallax. You can find his music at michaelparallax.com. Thanks for tuning in. And as always, and until next time, happy brewing.